0: Hi, and welcome back to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. I'm not MC or Spro, I'm Rudy, I'm your review reader, and today I'm going to read the review for The Lookout. Peter Rayner, film critic of the Christian Science Monitor, wrote, Look out for this noir gem. (laughs) I see what he did there. That's pretty good. Despite its improbable plot about a slow-witted janitor who assists the heist, The Lookout feels sharp. The Lookout has a premise that on paper, at least, might seem contrived. The Midwestern high school star Chris Pratt. Wait, wait. The character's name is Chris Pratt? Wow, that's... That's awkward. Chris Pratt, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, almost dies in a car accident while joyriding with friends and suffers serious brain damage. He goes from being the school's hockey star to working as a night janitor in a small local bank, which, it turns out, is being cased for a robbery by a high school acquaintance, Gary, Matthew Good. If you think you can see where this is going, you'd only be half right. Although writer-director Scott Frank, making his directorial debut, plays out a series of film noir conventions, he rejiggers the genre by making Chris a hero more akin to, say, a character in Awakenings than to one in Double Indemnity*. As the story plays out, he turns his disability into an advantage through sheer force of will. At times, the look outstretches credulity. Having a brain-damaged golden boy team up with a jokester blind man is a bit much, even by noir standards. Frank wrote the film adaptations of Elmore Leonard's Out of Sight and Get Shorty, and at times he seems to be trying for a similar tough, tender tone. But the material here is more fragile than Leonard's more touchy-feely. In the end, it's a good thing. We already have a surfeit of movie-wise, guys. Gordon Levitt, best known for TV's Third Rock from the Sun and offbeat indies such as Brick and Mysterious Skin, is affable, but also carries a suggestion of something dark and inchoate. Daniels transforms what might have been a one-note role into a mini layered marvel. Nobody can play stupid better than Daniels. Think Dumb and Dumber. And as it turns out, few can play smarter. He's a sharp asset in a sharp movie. Grade B+. Rated R for language, some violence, and sexual content. And now, here's MC and Spro to tell you why you should watch this movie.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Second Chance Cinema. I am one of your hosts, MC. With me always is Spro. Spro, how are you? I am
2: fantastic. How are you doing?
1: I'm good uh, because I'm excited to dive into this title today. This title is uh, one that I've been pushing on you, just shoving at you for a long, long time as I do with anyone who asks me, hey, what's a movie I haven't seen that I should? And revisiting it for this episode just reminded me why it's it's so awesome. It's, It's a movie that came out, I believe, in 2007, completely under the radar. Like if there was a movie... If there was a word for below, under the radar, like subterranean radar or something like that, I feel like that was this movie. I don't even remember where I saw it, to be honest. My guess is I used to have a video store down the street from where I lived at the time. I would go in and I would just load up on like four. What were the ones that weren't new releases? General releases? Is that what they were called? they were just genre movies, right? They're on the shelves with the genres. <laughs> I thought they had like a less than flattering name. Like they're not like the shiny, like prom queen new releases. They're like the homecoming. Previously viewed. <laughs> yeah. So recently viewed maybe, or recently released or something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I used to grab them like four at a time, just go back. And that's how I'd spend my weekend. And If I had to guess, this would have been one of the movies that I scooped up and watched and just couldn't never get out of my head. And uh, of course, the movie we're talking about, if you've clicked on the the episode, is The Lookout, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jeff Daniels, Isla Fisher, a brief pop-in from Carla Gugino, and I think... Matthew, Matthew Good, Matthew Good, I remember him as uh, Ozymandias from Watchmen, which mm-hmm. is a is a terrible thing to remember anyone as, but that's how I remember him. And really, this movie, I mean, this movie is about redemption. This movie is about regret. This movie is about perseverance. It's about I don't know, believing in yourself. It's about so much, and it's all wrapped up nicely as a bit of a heist caper movie with even a little bit of comedy thrown in. Spro, uh, before we get into the Wheel of Poetry, your your initial
2: thoughts on this movie? Well, you're right. Like, you are very, like, we have to do the lookout. We have to do the lookout. And I was like, okay, like, I'm totally down for it, right? Like, <clears throat> just because Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Levitt? Levitt? I love, like, he is one of my, one of those actors, like uh, a Jake Gyllenhaal, like his independent features are always something to look at because he seems to select the movie that he does without like the paycheck in mind where there's a lot of people that are like oh they're obviously doing it because you know what was there was like a rock movie on netflix called like red something uh, or we could say even like ryan gosling's the gray man like it's these seems like paycheck grabs like the script obviously are not wowing people but like joseph gordon levette seems to pick his projects based off of the script so i know knew going in that it was going to be a great script and then when you like look it up the director it's like the director's uh first movie that he ever directed scott frank but he's also an academy award nominee and i think winner who did out of sight and one of my favorite superhero <laughs> movies logan so i was like ah. Oh. I like no the writer. Shit. I like who, wait, wait, wait. The guy who directed this directed Logan. The, no, the guy that wrote this, who no also directed shit. this, wrote Logan. No shit, uh, Frank. So wow. I was I, I was immediately down. And then Jeff Daniels is always a pleasure. See, you know? so like
1: I was thinking about this while I was just taking the trash out before before we started recording. <laughs> Jeff, Dan, you know how I always like to say Delroy Lindo when he when you're in a movie when you see him in a movie you're like this movie's gonna be good. Like I feel comforted. I feel like I'm gonna to be okay. Jeff Daniels is the white Delroy Lindo, I think, or maybe (laughs) Delroy Lindo is the white Jeff or the black Jeff Daniels. I don't know, but, (laughs) but I feel like it's the same vibe. Like I couldn't think dating all the way back to probably the first time I saw him in dumb and dumber. Mm -hmm. But then after that, you know, movies like the Martian and even that show that he was on. And I can't remember the name of it on HBO, the newsroom, I think like Mm -hmm. he looks like a grizzled Dave Coulier kind of, and he's just this actor who like is he just, makes it feel natural like he makes it feel like you're not watching a movie you're watching a conversation or you're watching just a guy who's living the life of whatever character he's playing
2: and in this movie he's brilliant when well, i think one of my favorite interviews that he did was for he did like a goose movie like fly away oh home fly away like home yeah that's right <laughs> never saw it but so i remember he did- it And he did it with Anna Paquin, who won Uh her Academy Award for the piano. She's the youngest to ever receive. And he was like, it's kind of humiliating to sit in the makeup room and you got this like 12 year old with her Oscar sitting right there. And I'm known as the guy with the shit scene from dumb and dumber. (laughs) I was like, man, I like this guy. And from there, like that just appealed to me. And he's also, he's doing so much. Like he was just in the looming tower, which was all about how the FBI and the CIA screwed up in the lead up to 9-11 by like hiding things from each other. And he played I think the head of one of the agencies. And he's just he's one of those people like we talk about a lot of like line readers and people that just show up to you know they don't do anything special. And I wouldn't say Jeff Daniel does anything like other than this movie. This movie he's phenomenal. But like he He's like Delroy Lindo. You're right. Like, he just shows up. He delivers his lines in such a way that you're like, I believe everything you say. He's very,
1: like, he's very, it's very, it's natural and commanding are the two, the two adjectives Mm -hmm. that I kept going back to watching this movie. And even in, like, Dumb and Dumber, with the shit scene, like, throughout the whole movie, like, him playing opposite Jim Carrey, which was, like, what was that, 94? So, that was, like, white-hot supernova Jim Carrey. Still, like, he's got... Plenty of memorable scenes, memorable lines, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's cliche to say, but like, that
2: dude's a good actor, <laughs> you know? That's really like the only Jim Carrey comedy movie where somebody held their own right next to him.
1: Because
2: hmm. We got Ace Ventura's, I don't like, there's people that play off or Jim Carrey plays off of, but Jeff Daniels is obviously <laughs> right there along with him for the ride. Yeah, I don't know. He's been. It's. I didn't think. I. Did, I wasn't
1: prepared to come down this episode <laughs> discussing Jim Carrey's co-stars. I will be honest with you, though. Maybe I should have been. What do you want to do? The poetry, so we can talk about the movie. I do. Let's get into our uh, longest-running tradition, our only tradition aside from our friendship <laughs> that uh, has has endured on this show, the wheel of poetry. And actually, before we get into the wheel of poetry. I'm going to redo your intro and you can leave this in. You don't have to cut it in the beginning of the show, but I'm going to redo it anyway. And as long as it makes it in somewhere, I don't care. I swear to God, if you cut this out, I will come for you. Okay. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, with me as always, my co-host, not just my co-host, but one of my best friends in the entire world who is amazing, generous, brilliant, kind, compassionate, wonderful in every sense of the word and who I love without condition, Spro. Spro, how are you?
2: I'm Good. I'm blushing. <laughs>
1: oh, well, if, if you cut that out, um, like I said, I'll find out and I will come find you. So back to the Wheel of Poetry. What <laughs> okay. the Wheel of Poetry is, it's a wheel of poetry, which makes sense uh, based on the name. And it's a wheel of one, two, three, four, five, six different types of verbiage with which we are going to describe the movie based on whichever one it lands. We've got haiku, ABAB, limerick. Toast slash Roast, Song Parody, and Acrostic, which is our newest one. We've done that maybe once or twice, I feel like. Acrostic, and I feel like we explain these each time, but just for the benefit of those who may be new. Haiku, traditional Japanese poem, 575 syllables. ABAB, where the first and third lines rhyme and the second and fourth lines rhyme. Limerick, think of the classic, uh, There Once Was a Man from Nantucket. Toast slash roast, that's a little more free form and flexible uh, where we can, we can sort of pretend like an element from the movie or a character from the movie is uh, on the stage and we're going to toast slash roast them. Song parody, that one's pretty obvious. And acrostic in which we select a word. Do we agree on the word beforehand? I forget. Or do we each pick our own? No, no, no. Yeah, you do whatever. Okay, so we each pick our own word and we have to make up a poem or a tribute of some kind in which each word or sentence begins with the letters in that word. I don't know how well I explain that. I realize that I'm kind of like all over the place today. I'm feeling really frenetic. I just had like a hard cider that's a couple days old. I don't know if that's what it is or. Or what? Maybe I'm just excited to be here. But anyway, we're going to spin the, uh, the Wheel of Poetry and we're going to uh, land on what it lands on. And then while we write our poem, we're going to play the trailer for this movie And once the trailer is over, we will come back, we will share our brilliance, and we will get down to discussing. Sound good?
2: Sounds good. You know what I kind of want to encourage? Like, if any of our listeners write (laughs) their own poem based on what we select and, like, post it on, you know, one of our social media pages, that would be super sweet to read. Oh, that would just
1: fill my heart that would just tickle my heart in so many ways i would love that so let's go ahead and we will pull up the wheel and we will spin and we will decide what our poem is going to be this week this episode <laughs> limerick yeah. i don't remember the last time we did a limerick but that said, Limerick So think of, there once was a man from Nantucket Da 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 da, da. You, And you, you'll, you'll be Reacquainted with the, the art form once we Come back from the trailer, so here is the trailer To the 2007 Under the Radar hit, well About to be a hit, uh, The Lookout
3: Let's start at the end Can't tell a story if you don't know where it's going that's the end now what happened before that
0: once upon a time I had the perfect life now I have to write everything down just to make it through the day
3: any problems this week Nope. crying raging Nope. Oh. taking your meds
0: I want you to write down, bank extra clean in your little notebook. That's Chris Pratt.
3: My friend would like to buy you a drink.
0: Gary Spargo? We know each
1: other. I was in your sister's class.
0: I heard what happened to you. And everyone was talking about how you woke up this other guy.
3: Were you with a lady tonight? Where'd you meet her? Gary introduced me to her. Found me, right? What's this? Yes, this is a project I've
1: been working on. Why are you taking pictures of a bunch of banks? Because I'm gonna rob one. What is this? You know, I need your help.
0: You want me to rob the bank? You want your old life back? You can't give that to me. I was three years ahead of you, and I looked up to you.
1: Let me help you. How? Whoever has the money has the power. On the night, your job will be the most important job of all.
0: You're the lookout. Look, I can't do this. Go in there, do your job, and shut your mouth.
3: Where's the money? Start at the end, work backwards. What are you doing here?
0: money
1: i have the power that was a badass trailer like that I didn't watch. I didn't see the visuals of the trailer because you're playing it, but that made it sound like a suspense movie, an action movie, a drama, a thriller. It came at you from all different angles, which we'll get into. It definitely like there's parts of all of that in this movie, which is awesome.
2: When I love the line, you know, and they used it twice in the trailer of like start at the end. You don't know where yeah. you're going if you oh, don't. Man. Know you, you know, like I can't wait to pick your brain about the the storytelling
1: mechanisms in this movie because, like, man, okay. the, the next level shit. So, all right. uh, I'm going to go first this time. I always go last. I'm going to go first this time. All right. So, we landed on Limerick. So, here are our limericks about the movie The Lookout. There once was a kid named Chris Pratt. Crashed his car and his best friends went splat. His mind, it went blank. Thought he'd rob a bank. Deputy Donut, my heart is completely going
2: flat bro we wrote the same fucking limerick (laughs) go ahead let's hear it all right there once was a boy named chris pratt no 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 not that chris pratt a boy who had to write everything down in order to accomplish anything now the donut deputy's death made me sad oh man like (laughs) should we just start there that's like simpatico like every i think every line that we other than the second line i think those
1: those were not in terms of flow and cadence and arrangement, not our best work. But I think the fact that we that, that we both crescendoed on the death of Deputy Donut, like I mean, <clears throat> should we just start there? Let fuck it. Let's just start there. So, okay, as minimal backstory as we can. JGL plays a character named Chris Pratt. Now I don't know if this 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 was probably before actual Chris Pratt existed. Um, Two thousand seven. I mean, not, well, that not, he, not, not that he was <laughs> before he was born, but like before Chris Pratt was Chris Pratt. So his name Chris Pratt. He is a all-star hockey player who um, his hubris gets him into a car accident one night, causes a bunch of trauma for him, kills some of his friends. Fast forward, he's working a job at a bank. He's a janitor, I believe, or custodial services or something like that. Um, so he works late at night. He struggles with like the routine of remembering what to do and things like that. And there's a sheriff's deputy and keep in mind, this is in, I don't remember what state or town this was in. I feel like it was in like South Dakota Nebraska or something like that. I don't remember if they actually said it, but it was somewhere sort of like, you know, farmland, um, middle America, something like that. Kansas city, Missouri. Oh, Missouri. Okay. Kansas City. So yeah. So it was out kind of in like just this like small town. This deputy comes by to check on him every night. Um, like on his patrol, just to kind of check in, shoot the shit. Sometimes he brings him donuts, earns himself the nickname in the film, Deputy Donut. Without spoiling too much, Deputy Donut reveals early on in the film that his wife is pregnant and that in addition to his, you know, his sheriff's deputy work communication devices, he's been given a special pager set to go off when she is in labor and when he has to go be with her at the hospital. Let's leave it right there for now because fuck if I'm not going to tear up thinking about this shit. So let's back it up. Chris Pratt, He's who we all wanted to be in high school, star athlete, girlfriend, driving a convertible down the road, middle of the night. I believe they said it was like prom or something like that. They're about to head off to college. This is the beginning of the rest of their lives. None of them are wearing seatbelts. And um, he decides that he's going to turn off the lights of his car so that his... Friends can see the fireflies doing their like mating ritual in the middle of the night. Cut to the friends are getting scared and nervous, but he's invincible. He's Chris Pratt. He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Punches the gas. Finally, turns on his lights. Right in front of him is a weed harvester that he crashes into, and then we get the four years later title card. Basically, what happens is we are brought up to speed. Present day of this shell of his former self. He's an adult now. He's, um, I don't think they ever actually say what his traumatic brain injury is, other than the fact that it causes him to forget things, it causes him to blurt out. There's a number of different things it could probably be. And it's basically sort of dropping in on his life as it is now, which is compared to his existence in high school, very dull, very formulaic, somewhat unfulfilling, but beyond challenging for
0: him. I wake up. I turn off the alarm. I look outside so that I know what to wear. I take a shower with soap. And then I shave. Sometimes I cry for no reason. But
1: I'm getting a handle on it. I wake up. I get dressed.
2: take my meds. When Lewis
0: is gone, I make the coffee, which can be tricky. I eat breakfast, but I don't read the paper. It confuses me, which makes me mad. I wake up.
1: I put on my coat and go to class. wake up so spro is this the first time you saw this movie that when I made you watch it. Oh yeah. Okay. Tell me what you thought as we're as we're getting into this movie.
2: So, we started the movie, right? And usually when one of us pitches the other person about the movie, the other person like does the research, right? And goes, "Well, I don't I don't know, that's a cult classic now," you know, like we rule it out. And so when I looked it up, I was like, "This has really good reviews." And then you look up the budget versus the box office and you're like, "Wow. Those good reviews did not help people find this movie because it lost at least 10 million, it was only a... the budget was 16 million it only like brought in 5.4 million to date you know like so it is not making its money back and I was like okay so this one definitely did go under the radar and then watching it it's funny because when you start the movie how they did and the driving down the road and like ooh no let me turn off the light so you can see the fire like you understand what's about to happen right like you're thinking about it to yourself but you're also thinking like I did dumb shit I don't know necessarily what the ramifications are going to be and they slowly unfold the fact you see the car go into the wheat harvester and you're like okay who died and you wake up he wakes up like the next thing that they start talking about is his sequencing and you know him trying to put his his day together he's like i wake up i brush my teeth sometimes i cry i make cereal you know like and he's just going through and they go over and over and over again which is a great way of just saying like this has been his last four years and you're like, well, this sucks. He can't constantly leaves his keys in the ignition, but he has a key in his shoe. You know, like he's he's pretty much figuring out how to cover up his own mistakes and everything. But they don't tell you necessarily what's happening with everybody else in the car. I, you find out that the two in the back died. I think when he's talking to Matthew Good in the bar, and then it, I think it's like another twenty to thirty minutes when you realize that his beautiful um, girlfriend at the time she lost her leg and now has a prosthetic, but. Even then, they deliver that information in like the middle of a nightmare. So you're like, "Is that true?" And I feel like it is that she that she it's lost very, her leg. Yeah,
1: right. So because- that's. A, I'm glad you said that because you see the girl very clearly in the scene with in the car leading up to the accident, and then the girl appears almost like a ghost throughout the rest of the film. Like mm-hmm. that's what I wondered the whole time: is like, is this girl really there, or is she? A figment of his imagination because she, he, he goes to this, like, what is it, like a skating rink or something outside of City Hall or something. And he'll sit down there and, and he'll look across the street. And it's kind of like implied that's where she works or something because she walks in and you catch like glimpses of her. She's very like, like it's almost like a, technique where her outfit is very like, not like 90s hot pink, but she's like, it's like bright, energetic pink compared to kind of like the dull gray, you know, like like the overcast feel of the rest of the movie. And she's just in the scene for, you know, a few seconds. Like she walks by, you see the shot of him looking at her and then he kind of just looks back and going what goes back to what he's doing. And I always kind of wondered like, is she really there or is he imagining like As a way of like, you know, coping. Like, is is he imagining that she's okay and that she got away with losing her leg instead of dying? Like, I I never really could wrap my head around that. And then like you said-
2: Because she's always dressed the same way, isn't she? Right,
1: right. She's always got the same like pink scarf, pink hat, coat, thing like that. It's a very like- It's very like deliberate, it seems. And um, then there's the scene toward the end where he's about to sort of like flip the script and and take back control of his life, more or less, where he imagines a conversation with her. And that's clearly imagined because he he gets startled and wakes up. And it's very, at least in my opinion, was very clear that he was dreaming so that kind of makes you think back and like, oh, was the rest of this all real? It actually almost reminded me of uh, Joker, like everything before the the moment where he shows up in her apartment and she's like, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? Like, what did he imagine and what was actually happening? So I think it was like, yeah. a, it was a less intense kind of version of that, but it was still a really good device, like to just sort of emphasize how unstable he was, or at least leading up to his um, kind of redemption arc, how unstable he was.
2: Well, what I I really like about it is the problems that were put down on paper, like at the very beginning of like, he's living the high life. And so you kind of think like traditionally in a movie like this, like... By the end of it, he's going to be living the high life again. And that is not what happens in this movie. By the end of it, he, I think, like one of the final beats that he has is like, well, I hope I get the courage to talk to her again and she'll forgive. You know, like that's so much more realistic of a thing of life of like, well, hopefully one day I talk to this person again or something like that. And, and in my estimation, it's not going to happen. You know, maybe she'll come check out his new restaurant or whatever, and, and they'll lock eyes or whatever. But I like the fact that He's not trying to get back up to, you know, Chris Pratt, hockey superstar. He's just trying to get back to uh, an even keel level of just taking care of himself again. And, and that's not cool. even like he's not even 100 percent because, you know, he gives the wrong change.
1: Right. Yeah. That's so, You're right. Yeah. So the whole time, like his his and the viewers idea of what like success or redemption is it changes like it it shifts throughout the whole thing like at the beginning you know like he's had this magnificent fall from just the peak of stardom his life whatever and he's just it's just all taken away from him and then you start to see that like those little victories are quickly spoiled by him screwing up like he's got the routine in the morning down cold and stuff like that And that's like a great success. But then like when he comes home for dinner, uh, Jeff Daniels, who plays Lewis, his roommate, who is blind in the film, has left like, I think a voicemail message or something for him on how to cook dinner. Um, which uh, it's alluded to that they do every night and JGL can't find the can opener and something as simple as that sort of like resets him back to square one like he he begins stressing and then he begins overreacting and then when Jeff Daniels finally comes home the kitchen is in shambles and it's implied that he just completely freaked out over not being able to find the can opener so it's like I don't know man like that scene specifically I want to say like I've felt like that like I've never ever I mean, obviously, I don't have the trauma of of a car accident with my best friends in my past, but the way that it was built up. Like this boiling point kind of thing where he he had come from the meeting with his, I guess she was supposed to be a social worker, Carla Gugino, that kind of was a little rocky. And then he comes home and it's this simple thing that he can't do that just, just completely shatters his confidence, that little fragile, delicate bit of confidence that's been built up. Is just ruined. And it's really like, I mean, part of it was kind of like played for laughs. Like the Jeff Daniels character is very much comic relief. Uh, Most of the time he's, you know, kind of like the witty smart ass. But you see uh, when he comes in and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's on the floor, just kind of like exhausted and just really, really defeated. Like that was like really poignant.
2: They do play it in a good way like one what I wanted to say before like the poetry was like Jeff Daniels and the way that he moves his eyes in this like the realism that's coming through in the movie which is another reason why I liked you know Logan so much is that like obviously this guy pays attention to what is going on and I don't know if it's after the fact when Jeff Daniels comes home and he finds the busted up uh, tomato can on the ground because obviously Joseph instead of finding the can opener try to stab open the can but they don't say that at all right they just like they let the audience figure it out for them like they don't placate the audience they don't drum it down like he just picks up a busted can and you're like okay he he really tried to like find another way into the tomato can Uh uh-huh but the other thing that it, it happens in this movie is jeff daniels like cooks in the dark and it, it's not until Joseph Gordon Levet comes into the kitchen to help him out that he's like, uh, Levet's like, or Pratt, I guess. It's weird to call him Chris Pratt. But Chris Pratt, like, flicks on a light because he's like, well, I need light to cook. And you're like, but they don't, like, express that. You just kind of, as an audience member, goes, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, totally like you makes don't even, sense. You don't even notice. It's very, like. Yeah, like, the blind man can cook in the dark. Like, that yeah. makes sense. It's very um, Yeah.
1: There was a line that, like. And it it just caught me this time watching it, and you know certainly taking into account all the blessings I have in terms of like physical health, mental health. But it's when he's talking to Carla Gugino and he says, "I just want to be who I was," and I think that like Mm -hmm. you know we're older now, and I don't think that if we could go back i don't think that we would swap our lives entirely for the lives that we had when we were 20 or 21 or whatever but i'd be lying if i if i said there weren't elements of you know the past that like man i wish that was still a thing or i wish i wish this and i wish that and um you know that line the way that he says it and the way that i guess the way that i watched it you know having not seen it in years and years and years like it was a very subtle line but really really impactful
2: i guess well how um, how's your dexterity I find myself dropping shit all the time and I'm starting to be uh, like what is this? No, I'm more
1: forgetful. My dexterity is actually really good. Like I'm able to, this is one thing that I got from my dad is like being able to catch shit as it falls. Like, like if you open the refrigerator and things are stacked, you know, crazy and a can falls out or something like that. I'll nine times out of ten, I'll be able to catch it. Sometimes sometimes pretty like acrobatically. Like I'll be able to hit it with my hand and catch it with my foot, kind of thing like that. But what I suck (laughs) at now is remembering shit. Like my short term memory is just for shit these days. <laughs> like, and it's everything like from, you know, forgetting to like, t- like moving something out of the fridge to get it, something behind it. And then forgetting to put the first thing back or like just stuff. Like if you asked me what I did this weekend, I could probably tell you, but my guess is that you would remember a lot more of what you and I did together than I would. So, hmm. I mean, dexterity, physical or mental, like I just want to be who I was like, that's I feel like that's a pretty. Um, I feel like that's a pretty universal sentiment.
2: Yeah. Well, and everybody's going to get frustrated, as you know, like Joseph Gordon Levitt had a Chris Pratt had to deal with it, fresh out of high school, and then you know, losing his having mental impairments. You know, he had the amnesia, didn't really remember much about the accident and everything like that. Um, and then you know, anger management stemming from all the problems. So it's kind of like he just he went from. 18 to 70, you mm-hmm. know,
1: Super I mean, like, yeah. like it was like an Icarus type fall. Like he flew just too and close to the sun. He drove too close to the weed that, harvester and, and that was it.
2: <laughs> so many people in this movie are like, man, I really looked up to you. It's like, yeah,
0: what a well, nice so,
1: thing
2: to say, but in the same instance, like what a shite thing to say. So let's talk about
1: that. So we get introduced to Gary, played by Matthew Good, um, who is introduced as just this kind of like dude at a bar, who clearly is not just a dude at a bar. As we learn throughout the movie, he's actually been planning this whole caper for some time. But yeah, he comes up and buddies up to Chris Pratt and they sort of talk about, oh, yeah, we went to the same high school. I was three years ahead of you, but you were the shit, you know, things like that. He sort of just plants this seed. It's almost like a, it's like a, it's not a seed of doubt. It's almost like a weird seed of affirmation. Like he plays to. The Chris Pratt characters' insecurities in a way that like makes the Chris Pratt of old seem attainable again. Like he's he's there to soothe uh, present day Chris Pratt's ego by reminding him of the greatness that he used to have. Which I get what you're saying. Like that could be kind of a dick move, but he's such like a snaky, like sleazy dude. He's a predator, is what I kept going back to. Like he is straight
2: up a predator,
1: and he's going after Chris Pratt because he knows. How how to manipulate him into doing what he wants.
2: Yeah, well, and the other thing, like they all hang out in the basement and then there's the one friend who's like, doesn't want to play along, but has all the power to not play along because, you know, Chris Pratt's not going to remember anything or whatnot. He's like, you played for, and I forget the opposing you know, oh, the like other high school. Farmington player, you know? or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, man. And it's like, I don't, I don't know why. I just really want to punch you in the face. <laughs> you know, like. Wait, why did why, you, you feel that like, guy was completely throwaway? Why did you want to punch that guy in the face? Because he knew something that everybody else in the room also knew except for chris pratt and because like as a viewer of this movie you want to protect chris pratt you know like you're like man you're getting hosed in some way and until you figure it out based off of what jeff daniels is telling you how to figure it out i can't help you as an audience member you know so like you go into this basement you're what is it oh fuck i'm forgetting the term unreliable narrator right Uh that's that's chris pratt in this because he can't remember things from from one day to the next and so even when he after Thanksgiving dinner he wakes up in the chair and everybody's downstairs like you're kind of like how long was he out what do we what did we miss you know like let's go figure this out and he goes downstairs and the guy's like you played for farming and doing and he's like nah dude and it's like is he giving me attitude because we've asked we've had this conversation before or because he's so over the not like the lying but he's so over having to repeat himself to this kid that they just need to be the lookout that he's being an asshole to him at the chair and so i sat there and was like dude just be nice to us we have a mental injury over here like just tell us what we need to know
1: you're asking the shitty sidekick bank robber squatting in some old guy's house who who somehow they're able to like maneuver back upstairs, even though it's clear they don't know him. Even though it's like just this weird situation where you were, it's implied they just found this old dude's house and are like living in it. You're asking for well, that's sympathy. Spawn Ranch, isn't it? What's that? It's spawn Ranch. What do you uh, mean?
2: The Manson family. They oh yeah they yeah Spawn Ranch. And- well yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But you're asking for sympathy from this tertiary character. I'm asking him to shut the fuck up if All he right. has nothing nice to say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: fair enough fair enough well so uh, it, during this scene we get introduced to a few more characters Isla Fisher's lovely lemons which is a stripper name if i recall which yeah. is like i don't know i don't I, I don't quite get why that needed to be a thing but she plays this like <coughs> manipulative though you don't kind of realize it until halfway through but she she plays this sort of like superficial love interest for Chris Pratt
0: Chris Pratt yeah, yeah. My friend would like to buy you a drink. I used to dance at Wet Willys. You know that place in Raytown? It got closed down on account of debt. So, for right now, I'm working with Maura at the Chamber of Commerce. I'm answering phones. What do you do? Oh, I, um... Sorry, I forgot your name. (laughs) Again? Lovely. L-U-V-L-E-E. Lovely. Now you'll remember me. Anything you want to know about Kansas City, I can tell you. Oh, yeah. Like what? Like, did you know that Teflon was invented here? And Eskimo pies. And McDonald's Happy Meals. And melts in your mouth, not in your hands. And (laughs) then candy-coated. You guys are so
3: interesting. Why don't we go somewhere quiet where we can better hear... You two have to say.
1: <laughs> and then we also get introduced to this weird undertaker looking guy, Bones, or Bone, I don't remember, who's like the crew's enforcer. And he's just this like weird old dude with a black suit and long hair that is like the muscle. And then there are some other random dudes. And it's revealed that they are in cahoots to rob a bank. Because Chris Pratt works at a bank, they have orchestrated this this gathering in a way that sort of traps him into going along with their their scheme now he's kind of Resistant at first, but then Gary again plays into his insecurities saying, like, go ahead, ask, like, ask your dad if he would give you money to start a business. He wouldn't because he, he thinks you can't handle it. He thinks you're not capable. He pays your more, your rent. He pays for you to exist. Like, you know, you're a liability. You're a burden to him, that kind of thing. And he, he again feeds into the Chris Pratt character's insecurities. And the thing is though, what he says is not wrong. Uh, the dad character is played by that guy who play who's in every movie. Don't know his name. Don't really want to know his name. He plays like the president in some movies. He was the DA and law-abiding citizen. He's just like that dude. There's a scene where they're all over at the family's house for Thanksgiving, and the dad is very wealthy. Um, I think they name drop him a few times, and like everybody in the town knows who he is. And it is a very it is a vibe very much of like. It, it kind of straddles being protective and being like patronizing toward Chris Pratt.
2: Well, and it's funny too. So Bruce McGill plays his dad. Come on. And, I said, and then... I said you did not to look it up, but yes, Bruce McGill. <laughs> Oh, no, I knew that because I looked it up when I was watching it, because Bruce McGill in this movie reminds me of my Uncle Rob now. OK. And like the nice paintings and, you know, like I don't think he has a cabinet full of guns, but I want to put it past him. And and the chest set that was probably like hand carved in India, you know, like. All these things just kind of reminded me of my Uncle Rob to, to the to the nth degree when it came to Bruce McGill's character. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like this awkward situation where, again, he
1: brings Jeff Daniels with him to Thanksgiving dinner. And Jeff Daniels is like cutting up jokes and stuff like that. He goes into this spiel about how him and JGL want to open up a restaurant together. And the dad kind of just like is eager to poke holes in it. Like, oh, you're going to need you know, a lot of money to do that. Are you sure? What are you going to do at a restaurant? Like that kind of stuff. And I forget if that's before or after Gary kind of gives him shit about his relationship with his dad, but either way it, it feeds into the, to the narrative. I and think it's a, before
2: Okay. I think like they do that. And then Lewis is like, how much, how about, how about we don't go? Oh, right. right, right, for right. Thanksgiving? And then there's Thanksgiving and Gary's like, try to ask him for 10,000, maybe make it a grand. Right. And you're kind of like, oh, you know, and he eventually does it, but it's also hard. W- what I like about this movie is his dad's not completely wrong. No. And in the same instance, his dad wants exactly what Joseph Gordon Levitt wants. He wants everything to go back to the way it was, you know, like when they're playing chess and he's Mm -hmm. like, he's like, Oh, you're going to let me beat you, you know, type of thing. And it's like, and Joe, and they have that moment of just kind of quiet between them. And he's like, I can't play chess anymore. And like the dad kind of resigns him, like remembers. And he's like, I guess he can't, you know, like, Uh so it's, everything about this movie is pretty heartbreaking. It's just, Uh, that's
1: what it is. It's just this general, like nobody in this movie with the exception of Gary and his crew, nobody in this movie is like wrong kind of for, for feeling what they're feeling, and even Gary isn't wrong saying what he's saying. Like he is a master manipulator because everything he says has at least a kernel of truth to it. But you're absolutely right. Like the Pratt family is is very much like still wearing the scars of that accident as they interact with each other.
2: Because you think even like the sister, right? Like they make some mention where you're like, oh, we're not going to like the sister when we meet the sister. And even after the whole thing between Pratt and his dad, the sister brings her bait, her new baby, you know, because her sister has the life and everything. Mm -hmm. The sister comes into the room to make sure that Chris is doing okay. You know, it's like, are you Mm -hmm. fine? You know, how's it going and everything? We got to run. And then, you know, Chris makes a joke like if he forgot the baby's name and she's like, ha, ha, funny guy. And you're like, oh, she's actually very nice. Like, I don't know why. It's a
1: very very complex, like it's not a cookie cutter, like what you'd expect in a, if this was just like a straight action movie or Drama movie or whatever, like it's not like each each of the characters in the family unit is not predictable or or just like you know the typical archetype of a of a demanding father or a, you know an overbearing mother and stuff like that. Like they're much more human than um, yeah you might expect, and that's that's what makes again the the Chris Pratt character so sympathetic. Um, <clears throat> so. Chris Pratt works at a bank, and like we said at the beginning, (laughs) the bank is visited every night by the patron saint of Donuts, Deputy Donut. I don't even remember his name, his real name. Tim, maybe? Ted. Ted, Ted. And like we explained at the beginning, he's got a pager, which will alert him when his wife is about to go into labor with their first child. Now, if you're about to rob a bank and the night janitor is on your team, you're going to need him to interface with the the police officer who comes by every night as if nothing's wrong. Hence the title of the movie, The Lookout. Chris Pratt is designated The Lookout. So he is to go about his business like nothing's wrong while the guys are like cutting into the vault, like prepping the getaway car and stuff like that. And leading up to this whole situation, um, we get kind of a reminder of how Chris Pratt's mind works because he goes back through the sequencing exercise where he's like, today I woke up, I skipped breakfast so that I could rent an acetylene torch so that we could get a plasma cutter to cut through the vault. And like he goes through this whole sequencing storytelling technique that brings us up to speed while letting us know how his mind works. Now, that was my question for you at the beginning. Tell me as a screenwriter what you thought of that technique. What specifically about it? Like, is it, was it, to me, if anything, it was novel. It was a way to move the story forward, like with exposition, but also in a way that like completely made sense to the story. Like it was Grounded his character. It um, reinforced kind of like who he is at the present time. And it was interesting because up until that moment or up until that kind of segment of the film, he like the routine was pretty much there. It was that like I wake up, I eat breakfast, I take a shower with soap, all that. And this is the first time that he's outwardly saying that he's breaking from that routine and doing something different. So like in terms of developing his character in terms of driving the story forward, I'm not saying I've never like seen anything like that before, but in this movie, it seemed like particularly effective, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, it's definitely like shades of memento, right? Like Christopher Nolan's lack of short term memory backwards film or whatever but i mean like this i think so when we're talking about what went wrong with like why we're talking about this movie today because you know even though the critics loved it not a whole people a lot of people saw it the trailer is very action oriented right right? so like it almost it feels like you're going to go see an action film this is a character piece first and foremost this is everybody putting in their best work giving you well-defined 360 degrees of character, but not explaining it, like not explaining necessarily why Joseph Gordon-Levitt has to live with a blind man Jeff Daniels, but it's because Jeff Daniels as a blind man um, who wasn't blind his entire life, but he had to figure out how to create a new normal. And that is what he's trying to like rub off on Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And so what I, what you're saying about like the sequencing of the film with the sequencing of the Okay character learning how to sequence it, it's obviously a master storyteller. It's obviously the Scott Frank dude who wrote out of sight, who wrote Logan, um, who wrote like 12 other films that you've heard of. So yeah, he's a master of his craft and the and even like when you're allowed to see what was written in the notepad is obviously at the time that he wants the audience to see it because you don't necessarily you will watch uh, Chris Pratt take out the notepad and start writing something. But you're like, well, I don't know like what was during that scene that we would want to write down type of thing. And then when you get to the end, and even when he unties the lace from his shoe, you're kind of, you're just watching it, you know? Like, I don't I wasn't sitting there processing, like, why is he doing that? Other than the fact that this dude has new sequences that just help him figure something out. And then when it comes out that, you know, the shoelace is on the bag that has the gun and he's staring at it, you're kind of like does he remember (laughs) why he put the shoelace there? And then that like everything in this movie, it's definitely not a three act structure of UCLA. It's definitely the eighth sequence structure, probably of USC where like there is three different beginning, middle and ends throughout this movie. And it's up to the audience to either go along or try and figure it out. But you're watching Chris Pratt in real time, um, try to remember what he's doing, try to remember the lessons of Jeff Daniels, and perhaps succeed or perhaps not. But you're hoping by the time that bones comes around with a sawed off shotgun that he he figures it out. Well, so by the end of the movie, all the stuff that he does, like writing
1: it down, writing the stuff down, the shoelace, all that, it's purposeful, just like the stuff that he would do like when he was living a, quote, like normal life before he was a bank robber. But the high stakes of it, like the fact that the shoelace is on the bag with the gun in it and that's how he's going to save Jeff Daniels, the high stakes of it instantly makes you buy into the technique of the sequencing throughout the movie like it makes you it 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 becomes less of his he resents that we kind of feel
2: bad for him about it but at the end it's what saves the day
0: Mm -hmm.
2: well like even like how they set up the end like with so deputy deputy donut ted (laughs) like he dies right in the bank oh you spoiled it oh we weren't gonna spoil it no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I just, like took a, the- I just took a
1: big swig of water because I know that's what we're going to talk about next, and I need <laughs> my strength. So, jeez.
2: So he, but it didn't have to, like, this is not necessarily a flaw, but more, I guess, like a realistic thing. Chris Pratt could have warned him, right? He didn't, this deputy didn't have to die in the bank. In the same instance, the death, and that's what I'm saying, like little sequencing and everything. The fact that the deputy died and 10 minutes later, you're watching Jeff Daniels get a gun shoved in his face. You're like, no, Uh no, yeah, they're not going to kill Jeff Daniels, right? Like, it's just everything is set up for a payoff later, which makes this movie such an easy, enjoyable watch. So let's talk about Deputy Donut. Let's because we're we're.
1: I, I'm I'm not going to go on record as saying this is the saddest movie death I've ever seen, but but man, is it up there. So Deputy Donut, as we've said twice so far, and I've made sure to drive the point home, has a pager that will alert him when his wife is going in labor with their first child. He says that sort of passingly at the, at the beginning of the movie. It's a very like, it's kind of a throwaway line. It's like... It's kind of almost played for laughs. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, she's got me on a short leash kind of thing. Like, it's 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 very very throwaway but then he becomes more and more endearing he's kind of socially awkward himself but you get the feeling that he's genuinely you know looking out for chris pratt like he's he he wants to be you know he wants to he wants to watch over him he wants to be protective not so much more not so much in like a sheriff sense but like in a like you get the vibe that this is a good dude like a good guy he's terrified to have his first kid like a a likable harmless guy and throughout the movie, he, you know, builds his relationship with with Chris Pratt. And uh, I like how we haven't said Chris once. It's always Chris Pratt. <laughs> um, he builds his relationship with Chris Pratt and that leads up to the night of the robbery where they're expecting him to come by. And the plan is just for Chris Pratt to talk to him and kind of send him on his way. The night before that, there's a bit of a blow up where he, I forget exactly what he says, but it's when Chris Pratt is sort of at the height of being in Gary's crew. And he's like, he takes offense to whatever it is. Like, it's sort of like, don't patronize me. Don't, I'm not a baby. Like, you know, I don't
2: need your fucking help. Don't come check on me. Like that was Chris Pratt forcing him away right like he i didn't take it that chris pratt actually was angry with him i thought he was like this is my way to make sure he doesn't show up tomorrow during the bank robbery well see i didn't think that at all i thought that was a genuine like argument that they had. Oh no, that's what broke my heart kind of when like you had to I forget what movie it is, but isn't there like a movie where he has to like tell a dog to screw off because to protect the dog from anything and he's like just go, just leave me and uh, and like the like I felt like that was that kind of like scene of like I can you if I want a donut I'll get it myself, you know, and like just kind of like badgering breaking the deputy down so the deputy doesn't come back the next wow. time. Wow. See, I didn't
1: get that at all. I thought it was just a genuine, like, I'm like, Chris Pratt was either like sick of being coddled or just kind of snapped because now he's sort of like towing the line of, of being like a bad guy. But that's interesting. I mean, like you, so you think it was like, uh, you know, for your own good, like, um, Yeah. But honey, I shrunk the kids when he tries to get the ant to go away. Like, come on, you don't know what's good for you. And then the scorpion comes and kills the ant like fuck man maybe that's the saddest movie death of all time <laughs> i'll have, have to i'll have to rewatch. Very, i don't want to re-watch I think it's
2: similar because it the is deputy similar. comes back and he's just like you know like oh, i'm just letting you know like somebody else is going to take over my shift and right. he's like so he, he's like oh i'm sorry about yesterday
1: right so that's to me that's i took that as like oh he's just kind of like he blew up and he's sorry maybe. about it and that's that and then deputy donut leaves and he drives past the donut place. And he uh, and again, this is where I kind of took it as like, a, oh, let's make amends. He sees the donut sign. And it's implied that he goes in and he's going to get some donuts for his friend. He goes back to the door of the bank, the box of donuts. Gary and his crew are like, oh, shit, Deputy Donut's back. They don't have a chance to hide. So Chris Pratt has to kind of like shoo Deputy Donut away. And as he does... Deputy Donut sees the reflection of Bones, the Undertaker, in one of the glass windows. And fuck, man. (laughs) As soon as, as soon as he's aware of the threat and this is just masterful, the pager goes off. And the pager goes off, he looks down at it, and he kind of like, he doesn't whimper, but he's like, like you, it's almost like the alarm that, you know, is going to kick off this gunfight. And up until then, like, I remember the first time watching it, like, I had completely forgotten about the pager. Like, I had completely sort of forgotten about that bit of exposition in the beginning. And then, as you're traipsing along this, this, like, sort of superficial, but also kind of genuine relationship between him and Chris Pratt you get to like him he becomes this kind of like goofy harmless funny character with a heart of gold the pager goes off, and then he just gets wasted, and you're just like, "What the fuck!" Like for me, that was that was just tragic. It was legit tragic.
2: Well, he doesn't even, like he doesn't get wasted as soon like because he gets a good shot in at Gary. right, right, right. right gets, yeah, he gets Gary in the hip and everything. And there's that's the thing with this movie. You don't know where it's gonna go. You don't think they're gonna kill the guy who's about to have a baby with his wife. Maybe hurt him. Maybe give him a hero moment, but. No, they take him out like twice, like they, he gets shot. And then, oh my gosh, it's the heartbreak because he's laying on the ground. He's like, help me. Help me, help me. You know? Hold oh.
0: oh, the shotgun. Hold oh, the shotgun. Hit. Don't you fucking move. Hey. Shut up. Put your hands on me. There's another one. There's another. Help me.
3: Help me Bo.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it makes you then, angry, it makes you sad, it makes you just like, uh, because that one really like, it didn't make me cry. It, wasn't, it made me like gasp, like, oh, fuck. And then it was just really, really well done death in the sense of like, I was completely invested the whole time and it made me sad and kind of pissed me off.
2: So then he gets the shot into Gary, right? And you're like, well, I hope that guy dies now, but uh-huh. he doesn't die like, right away and matthew good's acting as he's like suffering from blood loss and like freezing and just and, you know and like, asthma how can we forget our asthma brother we need to choose well, i was a- gonna bring it up before the end <laughs> of the episode like what on a scale of one to ten one being we we discussed another asthma person on this show that was just horrible oh man i don't remember do you remember if it was was it recently or was it like our second season I feel like it was
1: our first season. Oh, really? Were, were you going to comment on um, how well so, he played the be- asthma?
2: Well, between one and 10, I'd give him like a seven because yeah. he never double hit it, right? And he didn't take the 10 seconds before speaking again. I understand it's a movie and whatnot, but it's like the same thing when it comes to like people smoking on screen, but they don't inhale. And they just have that like huge white cloud of smoke that like trickles out of their mouth for their next line uh-huh. like it's like i don't like that either so if you're gonna take an inhaler you know like as a writer take the inhaler that person ha- can't speak for 10 seconds <laughs> and just has to like awkwardly hold it in with like the chest enclaved for uh, as somebody else talks
1: that's so. The point being, like, his gasping for air, sort of writhing while he died, was pretty legit in terms of an, uh, yeah. an asthmatic's point of
0: view.
2: Yeah, and I like the fact that, like, because Joseph Gordon goes over, and I was like, wait, is he gonna? You know, ex- execute this man, kind of, you would understand because, you know, that's what they did to Deputy Donut. But in the same instance, um, I like the fact that he just put the inhaler a little bit out of reach. Like he didn't like kick like, it out of the road yeah, or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Like, he wasn't a, you know, a sociopathic killer he was just like i don't want you to live i'm not i don't know the strength of your asthma inhalers
1: but i'm not sure an inhaler would have saved him at that point <laughs> i mean oh no you know not at all
2: <clears throat> so it was more of a it was more of a dick move than a functional move in the same scene i also like the fact that like jeff daniels hears the gunshot and then he's like am i dead and my dad, nobody's talking, nobody's saying anything. And I'm just like, oh man, I hope when he dies, he's going to, you know, be able to see. Oh, like he's going to be able to,
1: um, like he'll get sight back, you mean? Yeah. I see. He was great. They were all, it was a great movie. Great movie that like... Just, it was.
2: Good recommendation.
1: What, what, did the criti- uh, what did the critics have to say about it? The critics like this movie. Critics like this movie. Nobody saw this movie, but you Nobody can... Nobody saw this movie. That's why <laughs> we're talking about it. <laughs> Nobody saw this movie, but you can make good, and you can see this movie. I forget where I watched it. I think I actually downloaded it, but I it's don't remember.
2: It's a 7.0 in IMDb, 73 on Metacritic. So that's like a... Sol- that's like... That's where we live. On Second Chance Cinema
1: is the movies with those those numbers, I think, right?
2: Well, the 74%, yeah. The 84% right, right, right. is quite high for us, but it only made a third of its budget and the budget was $16 million. So it was a small budget and it only made a third of it. So nobody got paid on this movie. In my, in my thoughts though, that movie is
1: priceless. So to wrap up, Chris Pratt and Jeff Daniels do go through and open a restaurant that they wanted to. Um, we get a nice shot at the end of the dad. What's his name? Bruce McGill. McGill. Bruce McGill comes to the window and sort of like gives a you know like a smirk toward Chris Pratt sort of like hey you know I'm I'm, I'm proud of you son like nice job we never find out if that girl was a ghost um, sadly Carla Gugino doesn't come back because that was nice to see her in the beginning
2: what and, oh, happened to Isla Fisher
1: oh yeah we kind of we kind of glossed over her she was sort of like the there's a word she for, fades
2: it. out though like, yeah, yeah yeah there's a word. The movie I was like
1: huh, she was like the bait she was like the bait to Get Chris Pratt like um, ingrained into the whole bank robber group, and then I think she. So she has that conversation with Jeff Daniels, and he kind of just calls out all her bullshit, um, which is a great scene. Yeah, fantastic scene. He just calls out all her bullshit. Like knows her to a T. Knows exactly what she's about. Knows exactly what the crew she's running with is about, um, and just just calls her out.
3: Lovely, I presume. I recognize the perfume. Can I offer you some pies. not homemade, but it's decent.
0: No, thank you.
3: Probably got to watch your figure. I imagine your line of work. Nice name, by the way. Lovely lemons.
0: I don't dance anymore. I-, I was never very good at it.
3: Please tell me you're not waving your hand in front of my face.
0: Oh, sorry. Have you been blind your whole life?
3: Most of it, yeah.
0: How'd it happen?
3: I looked at the sun too long.
0: Wow, you hear about
3: that? Let me ask you a question. What's your real name?
0: Why? Are you gonna Google me?
3: (laughs) I did, what would I find?
0: Probably nothing.
3: What happens if I Google Gary?
0: Mm Mm-mm. How'd you meet Chris?
3: Center uh, put us together a few years ago.
0: And now he's your best friend?
3: He's a good friend.
0: Maybe your only friend, huh?
3: Hey, lovely, that thing I said about the sun, it's a lie, total bullshit. Oh. I was about your age. Some buddies and me wanted to make money, so we started a meth lab.
0: You blew yourself up?
3: Do I look like I blew myself up? No, I didn't blow myself up. This was a while back, before meth was fashionable. So, unfortunately, it wasn't yet known that if you work in an unventilated room, the fumes can, and in fact do, blind you. Something that probably could have been avoided if I had just stopped and bothered to ask a simple question. What am I doing here?
0: That is a sad story. I'm sorry. If it's true.
3: Tell me, what are you all cooking, sweetheart? Why are you here?
0: The same reason you are. Chris Pratt.
3: Sweet. Of course, not as sweet as meeting in a bar, giving somebody a cell phone.
0: Gary wants to help, Chris.
3: Mm-hmm. i he does.
0: Do you know Gary?
3: Well, I've known lots of Garys. A few lovelies, too. Meaning? Meaning something tells me that you really don't believe you're going to be invited to the next Pratt Thanksgiving. I could be. <laughs> Sometimes I wake up and think I can see until I walk into a door no the lovely lemons of this world do not end up with chris pratt
0: thank you asshole
3: sad but true but that brings me back to that original question lovely so tonight in the dark i'm gonna help you out and ask it again what are you doing here
1: and then I think, I think it's implied shortly after that she learns that they are going to either like frame Chris Pratt or kill Chris Pratt and frame Chris Pratt that she just like, it's just a scene of her like getting a taxi and she just kind of pieces out. Like there's no, um, it's more just like she's absolving herself. Does she it. get
2: the though? I thought she did. I feel yeah. like she goes and stands and looks out over a field and somebody like no, looks at her looking at no, the field No, and no, no. Then-
1: You're thinking of, so there's a scene where they're at the farmhouse and Chris Pratt leaves and she looks out the window at him leaving in the car and, and then Gary comes up from behind her and kind of gives her a right. hug, you know? And like, so then it's like, aha, she's just been playing him this whole time. And then shortly thereafter, I think that is when she has the, or maybe it was before, I don't know. But the conversation with Jeff Daniels, I think is when like kind of the the cracks in her facade are exposed. And then shortly thereafter, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm 99% positive. There's a scene where she's like in the back of a taxi and just kind of rides I, off into the sunset.
2: I know there's a scene where, where, she is standing there looking out over a field like a a snowy field or whatever and i remember the scene explicitly because there's only one set of footprints you know to where she stopped and like it took me like as i'm thinking about production and everything i'm like so there had to be one take right because Or did they like mess up the footprints and then put the footprints in? Because she never moves. She just stands there, except you could tell like the footprints, like, I don't know. The whole thing, it was just a little tableau. And I was like, oh. But I don't remember seeing her again after that. I know she like finds the guns, right? Mm -hmm. And like, there's no words. I think she just looks at Matthew Good, and he looks at her back, and she kind of understands like the it's not going to do well for Chris Pratt. And then Mm -hmm. I don't remember seeing her again. So it's like, oh, maybe she was a ghost because we don't see. Here's a
1: theory: we don't see killer. Well, we don't. Oh, maybe no, no. Bones doesn't kill her. No, I'm telling you, she rides away in a taxi. But I was going to say, we don't see we don't see Carlo Gugino again. We don't see the girl in pink again. We don't see Isla Fisher again. Are all the female characters in this movie ghosts?
2: No, because Matthew Good hugs Isla Fisher. Dude, Do, does he? Isla, does he? Spell? Isla Fisher. Isla, I believe. Lovely, Lila.
1: L- lovely, 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 l- lovely l- lemons. <laughs> That's a stupid stripper name. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's good because it's weird, but it's also like my strip club. Well, apparently,
2: dude. Love, Lovely was intended to be a more sinister character in the script. And Isla Fisher said, I will only play it if I can do a naive, childlike innocence. Interesting. I didn't realize she I, had the kind of clout to make those demands. Before Scott Frank directed his own piece, Sam Mendes and David Fincher were both attached to direct. Holy shit, your boy! Out. I know. Well, and Sam Mendes is you know a, a household name too. But it, like, I'm I'm glad. Like, I think it would have been too dark if David Fincher did it. You no, know. You know what? When I saw this, um,
1: I think I'm. I, now that I think about it, I ordered it through Prime and the summary called it i should have written this down but it said something like this joseph gordon levitt isla fisher and jeff daniel star in this blah 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 in this this darkly funny movie or something like a dark humor movie and i was like well, what the fuck i don't remember anything funny about this movie And I still wouldn't call it like a dark comedy or anything like that, but there are certainly moments where I laughed, especially, I mean, Jeff Daniels was most of them, but it was just like, it was just such a good movie. Such a, just such a good movie, like underrated, under the radar, such a good movie. You should watch it. Well, you did. did I'm talking to the other guy listening. So The Lookout. (laughs) Do we have to wrap anything up or is that it? I think we, I think we did. The I feel up. like your last speech like did perfect. Oh, nice. Again, this was a movie I'm glad that we finally got to talk about because it's one that's been in my queue for years. And again, it's just one of those movies that like, you're like, how did I miss this? It was awesome. And like I said, that's our business here on second chance. Cinema, right? Yep. So for my good, wonderful, kind, caring, compassionate, brilliant, brilliant, Talented uh, Incredible Friend Spro Who I love Without condition And if you cut that out I would gut you Did you write it down? No Word for word? No I just, I just Those are just the words I think about When I think about you dude um, Oh thanks man Yeah So for you Spro I am MC um, Thanking you for tuning in To another episode Of Second Chance Cinema Listen to the bumper At the end Find out how you can Follow us Send us recommendations Send us your poetry Now that that's Going to be a thing mm-hmm super psyched, download the episodes, tell your friends, and as always tune in next time. We will see you.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancinema at gmail.com. That's 2NDchancinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNspro or check us out on Instagram at 2 Cinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps make us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible and isn't that really the whole point now go on and have a beautiful day you wonderful person you and if it's not a beautiful day outside stay in and rediscover a gem from the past With the same fucking limerick <laughs> go ahead let's hear it All right. there once was a boy named Chris Pratt there once was a kid named Chris Pratt <laughs> no 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 not that Chris Pratt crashed his car and his best friends went splat a boy who had to write everything down his mind it went blank in order to accomplish anything now thought he'd rob a bank the donut deputy's death made me sad deputy donut my heart is completely going flat